Well, thanks so much for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. We are running through the Bible in a year, talking about David this week. So we're excited for you to join us. If you need more information on us, Park Hills Church, the app, or parkhillschurch.com. Let's talk about David. Let's do that. But first, I must say that for our podcast listeners, you must know that Chris breaks into dance every time he hears that music. Notice he's not denying it. I'm just kidding. He, he doesn't, but he wants to. He moves, uh, moves to the beat. Yeah. I do. Dance comes in many forms, Mark. Oh, does it? <laughs> whether I'm actually dancing or whether my heart's dancing, dancing is happening. So I can't deny it. Therefore, what I have said is true. I was born to dance. This we, large German man born to dance. <laughs> you know, sad part is I love to dance, and I do believe that I'm good at it. However, that does not seem to be cooperated by anybody else. Uh, but we like encouraging it because it's always entertaining to watch yeah, you start dancing. That's right. Speaking of dancing, we're talking about David. Today. I knew you were going to pull that together at some point. I was just waiting. <laughs> that was good. Hey, we get a lot of themes covered with David here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's he's really... The character of the Old Testament that epitomizes what it looks like to walk with God after Moses, right? So, I mean, the two big characters in the Old Testament, Moses is the big one. David is right behind him or right on the same tier as him in a lot of ways. You You might add Elijah to it later on, you know, in a few chapters. But he, in many ways, David is the epitome of what imaging God looks like on earth, right? He pulls a kingdom together. It has a good feel to it. Uh, the people are united. There's peace. There's prosperity. Yeah. It's good stuff. I can't help but think about David and, and even the parallel to Christ. Um, John chapter 10, you know, he's what does Jesus say? He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. He who has a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees a wolf right. coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches away and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. You know, I, I can't help but wonder if the the origin of David uh, really played into the kind of king he was. Right. And just that humble heart what he learned while shepherding, you mm-hmm. know, and even defending those sheep, even if a bear or a lion is coming, you know. Right. We know that from his speech as to why he could take on Goliath. But here's this shepherd. and has a shepherd heart when he's at his best, I think. Yeah, very much so. He's not a absent-minded donkey farmer. <laughs> <laughs> the herder That of is donkeys. for sure. Yes, that's, it's a slightly different situation. One of the other things that we love about David is he's desiring holiness, yeah. right? I mean, you see this in Psalm 51, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, just pouring out his heart just right? in, well, in the agony of the awareness of his lack of holiness. Right. You know, what, you know those moments where your own sin grips you so tightly. And here he's saying, I, I, I just want that, right. you know, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Right. 
cleanse me and make me new. Yeah, clean my heart, make me different. That that's that's the heart that we should have, and that's a desire of holiness. And so so that's the, one of those other themes, right? So you got imaging, you got holiness. As I said a little bit ago, part of his imaging is that the kingdom is in good shape, and so really the. Solomon brings the kingdom to the zenith of what it becomes, right. the most powerful, the strongest, you know, the most money, all that kind of stuff. But there's an evil element to that that we'll get to. You know, when we, when we get to Solomon, right. we'll start talking about some of this evil that he's got going on too. But David's got it in good shape in that, yeah. you know, even it, it says right before the Davidic covenant, there's peace on every mm-hmm. side. You know, it's a, in a time of peace. And that part of that's because God had blessed them so much in victory that... These other countries are like, yeah, I'm not going to mess with them. Right. Uh, we will lose if we take them on. And and I think it was that holiness and that desire for holiness in his heart where the Lord just honored that so much. And, yeah, good picture of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the other big themes that you see with David, too, is just his desire to dwell with the Lord. So even though the tabernacle was stolen by the Philistines and then slightly returned, but not fully returned to where it needed to be. Once David conquers Jerusalem, which, by the way, I I can't say enough. I want a ton of people to go to Israel with us and go into the, the tunnels down below Jerusalem and it kind of imagine David conquering the city, first of all, but then to see where the tabernacle actually went up the hill and got yeah. set on the, the mountain. And then eventually the temple was built there. And there's so many cool things about that. And this idea that David knew that he couldn't lead the kingdom well if he didn't have the presence of God with him. And so that yeah. tabernacle theme is so huge in David's king, kingship, even more so uh, than his son Solomon, who builds the temple and the presence of the Lord, you know, fills the temple after Solomon dedicates it. But then after that, we really hear hardly anything about the spirit of the Lord in the temple doing things in Jerusalem. It kind of yeah. gets this weird dead space. It's amazing, you know, yeah. You know that whole trying to get the get the ark there and and that debacle with right. the death and and then you know the the ark being left in the house of Obed-Edom, it was totally blessed. I mean, what a great deal that was! Like, hey, can can we just yeah. store this here in your house? Uh, yeah, and oh, you have to take it really. You, you know, it's it's fine right there. It's not bothering me at all. I don't really need that portion. Of, you know. He was just totally blessed over that. Yeah, I mean, God, I love being Obed Edom, not to be excu- to confuse with uh, Doeg the Edomite, very evil man. But correct, uh, but but even honestly, this what happens in, in right after that, which inspired my comments about your dancing to the music, just David's response. Because I actually want to suggest we see the theme of love here too. Um, I think David dancing before the the ark and just so thrilled that the ark is is finally getting there and there's mm-hmm. that celebration and even though his wife is very disgusted with him about it, what what a what a beautiful beautiful moment you know and right. and so that love theme there too even you know Psalm thirty five. Uh, verse 27, let those who delight in my righteousness shout and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. Am I, am I hearing you admit that you want to start a new thing during your sermons? Well. As the word of the Lord is proclaimed <laughs> by you publicly, 
that you'll start dancing in a linen ephod? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, you know, if I get that little robe with the wings <laughs> so I can float the wings around. And, you know, you know, if you get the right apparel, any movement yeah. looks looks better than it is maybe perhaps. <laughs> you know, I could just have that flowing like a like – You're going to be like one of those whirling dervishes that <laughs> spin on their – have you ever seen this? They spin Did on their – you just call me a whirling yeah, dervish? Yeah, they spin on their one foot for like an hour. They just like spin and spin. I'm just – Oh, that would of be all so the good. things I've been called, it's never been a whirling <laughs> dervish. Look it up, people. Go on Google. You'll see what I'm talking about. You'll know exactly that's what Mark should be doing during sermons. But regardless, yes, you're right. The righteousness of the Lord should make us want to dance, have joy, which is part of why we try to have, you know, at least a couple uplifting songs in the service, right? That's mm-hmm. why we, we joke with each other. We joke even in our sermons a little bit. It's not just flippant. It's not, we don't, no, we take it all very seriously, but we believe that part of being a Christian is just having joy and excitable and loving the fact that God's teaching us. Yeah. If there isn't joy, that's a concern, honestly. I believe Chris's phone, just talk to him, but we're not worried about that. But yeah, I mean, we have so much reason to be joyful no matter what our circumstances. And I know that's hard to remember when things are hard and things are going ways that we wish they wouldn't, or we don't understand or or fighting illness or grieving mm-hmm. or whatever, but this this whole perspective, the grand perspective, which is what we're trying to gain by going through the Bible in a year like this and highlighting these themes, is that you know within within all this is a reason to be joyful for those who are in Christ, who are part of that kingdom. Right. One of the downside, uh, you know, we have seven themes that we're kind of running through this, you know, this entire year. And part of why we're even doing this is showing you most of these themes could probably show up in almost every one of these stories that we're telling, but we're just we're picking one of the main ones and then going yeah. through it. But it's not all great with David, is no. it? I mean, there's some downsides to him. One of the biggest travesties of David's situation, uh, whether you want to talk about it as specifically the adultery aspect, but even the fact that he has more than one wife leads to some pretty severe strife. Right. Mm -hmm. And his kids don't get along the best. You know, we all want success, but success is dangerous. Yeah. Um, And even really just, you know, one of the things contributing to the fact that he fell into that sin is that he was not out in battle. He was just kind of hanging around the kingdom. Life was good. He he was successful. He was the revered king. And. People would give him what he wanted, or he would take who he wanted, and right. and that that isn't always a good thing. Um, and boy, what a hard lesson for him to learn, and what a toll it took on his family. So there was some rebellion there too, wasn't there? A lot. And you look at his family in general, and you've got this these issues with Adonijah. You've got Absalom. You've got Amnon. Those are some pretty big brutal names in that family and they're all doing their own thing you know two of them try to kick him out of the kingship altogether so then you're going well how does that even happen and then you start looking a little closer in the story and what you're saying with rebellion a lot of the rebellion is actually david bringing it upon himself right whether it is the adultery or whether it's him deciding to count the troops or whether it's him just not acting the way you'd want a king which kind of leads us to this spot with david where you should read the story and be both excited about david but at the same time going Man, he just doesn't quite, he doesn't fit exactly what I'm looking for in this coming king. up short. Wouldn't it be great if there was a king who did everything David can't do mm-hmm. and more? Isn't that the beauty of the Davidic yeah. covenant that we were talking about? Yeah. Just, yeah, he's good and good in so many ways. What a great leader, a great military leader. And 
rallying people together, but boy, that rebellion, it always wreaks havoc. You know, it just, yeah. sin is always going to take its chunk, and boy, what a chunk it took out of him. But what a reminder, yeah, as great as David was, he's not the king to reign eternal. Right, which gets us excited about somebody who's coming in the story someday. Right? We'll get there. We talk about them every week, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of pages to turn first. Yeah. If only you all knew who we're talking about, right? Like the Sunday school answer, you know, everyone's thinking, right, is, is he talking about Jesus, right? Yes, we are. It's definitely <laughs> Jesus. But then it opens the question of the Bible keeps talking about David being a man after God's own heart. And I've had a ton of people over the years say to me, well, what does that mean? Because he's definitely an adulterer. He's definitely somewhat murderous at parts of his life. He's definitely not. He doesn't quite match what I would expect someone. So then they say, what do you do with a man after God's own heart? What does that mean? So how do you answer that question? Well, to me, the humanity part of it is pretty significant. A man after God's own heart uh, in that he was capable of sin. That was what's so unique about Jesus is that he didn't sin, uh, took on flesh but didn't sin. But this is a man who genuinely loved the Lord. Um, there was a, he had a heart for God and yet in his humanity was imperfect in his pursuit of God. Mm -hmm. And he had those moments where he was tempted and failed and maybe let pride come in. And yet his heart was that of the Lord. You know, I think even just after being confronted and realizing, you know, the whole, you are that man. Right. Um, he doesn't, you know, kill him for saying that. What right. does he do? He, he goes to the ground and mourns and weeps before the Lord. Why? He, he, he recognizes his own humanity. He recognizes his sin, knows he's done wrong. And undoubtedly with it put that way, <laughs> that you are that man. Right. He had to have such anger and, and even loathe his own actions at that point where he's saying, hey, if someone steal, stole that one you lamb, they should die, you know. And all of a sudden he gets it put, you are that man. You know, what a, what a moment. And you say, okay, a man after God's own heart, but I'm highlighting his sin. And yet I think to me I'm highlighting his response to it. Right. Um, was not going to go spiral deeper. Yes, certainly he did with the Bathsheba thing. He spiraled all the way down into into having Uriah killed. But when confronted and in that moment he's going, oh, Lord, what have I done? And I, I really think that that becomes what it looks like to be someone right. after God's own heart. Yeah. I, I think about it a lot as the pursuit, right? It, mm-hmm. It's what are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? So then there's, there's good news in that, that our life is not defined by our worst choices, but our, our yeah. life is instead defined by what are we chasing after? But at the same time, some have decided to try to use that as a way of washing away their sin or kind of, a, you know, acting like it's not a big deal or this is, you know, oh, whatever. I'm just, uh, David was an adulterer, so it's not a yeah. big deal that I'm doing this. Even that is not being a person after God's own heart, right? You're, right? David owns up to his own sin and says, you know what? You're right. I, I just want to chase after God and, and God alone. That should be the desire of a disciple. That should be the desire of someone who's following Christ is that we are saying, 
yeah, I'm a, I'm a failure. You know, I fail a lot, but that isn't something that defines me, nor is it something I'm chasing after. When I realize I've, I've failed, I'm immediately repenting and moving right back to trying to run after God. And so one of the ways that someone described it to me years ago, which was really helpful, uh, we talk about two different ideas. One is a, a bounded set, which says, here's the lines. And as long as you're inside those lines, you're a part of that group or a centered set. And centered set would just say, you're, look, you're pointing toward the center or away from the center. And so if Jesus is the center and our centered set is to be like Christ, my life should be defined by moving closer and closer to him. Even as moments of my life, I'm pointing away from him at points, but then I'm, I'm realizing it and repenting and turning back around versus how some of us treat Christianity of, well, I don't do all these things, bounded set, so therefore I'm in the kingdom. It's like, that's not really, your, your actions don't necessarily define your relationship with the Lord. Your, your relationship with the Lord is defined by your pursuit of him. Yes, that often means that we don't do such and such, or we don't, you know, take part in these types of activities or these types of activities. But when you accidentally do, or you get overwhelmed and you do it, and then you realize, oh man, I'm, I messed up. You're on the same path as the rest of us to then turn around and go, you know what? No, I'm going to focus my attention back at where it's supposed to be. I'm going to chase after Jesus and uh, we're going to live that way. Yeah, and that speaks to not this whole idea of we don't accomplish it. Right. Because you go back to, again, David's uh, a penitent psalm in, in Psalm 51. Uh, you know, he's first of all crying out for, for mercy. But what does he, he ask for? Blot out my transgressions. Wash me. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to clean myself up. He's saying, wash me. Cleanse right. me. Right. And he goes, hey, listen, I know I'm, my transgressions, my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned, which is a fantastic observation on his part. Um, and then even blot out my iniquities, create in me a, a clean spirit, renew a, a right, or create a clean heart in me and, and renew a right spirit within me. What is he saying there? He's really saying, God, you have to reform this messed up sinner. Right. Uh, so it, it displays great humility there. You know, obviously he's, he's humbled by his own sin, but he's going, he's not promising God all the things he's going to do right. He's going, oh, take my wretched self and, and do what you can with me. Clean me up, fix, fix me, because uh, I obviously have made a horrible hash of this. Right. Right. And I think the biggest way that we see his character playing out is really him not killing Saul multiple times, right? Saul was anointed as king. David honors that until the day Saul dies. But David believes even though he's the new anointed one, he does not have the right to be the one to take Saul's anointing away from him. He's letting God do it. So yeah. that's just crazy to think about, you know, because we don't really act that way typically. You know, if someone yeah. gets a promotion ahead of us, we just are angry with them and we want to try to take them down or whatever. Or, you know, something else happens in our life and we're just so frustrated with that other person. David's character is just trusting that the Lord is going to make it right when the time is right. Uh, and what's crazy is David David also is married into Saul's family, so he has a right to the throne. Yeah. You know, it's, you look at all these things and you're going, he, he could totally take Saul down and nobody would—, would do anything about it. They'd all say, yeah, you're totally the king. You're better than him anyway. Let's yeah. do it. But David knows his integrity is so important. He's not going to do it on his own. Yeah. He had to be saying, okay, do I kill or be killed here? He could have even been going, okay, God, did you just put him into my reach so I could do it? 
you know, I wonder if right. he had a twitching hand on the sword, even as he cut off the corner of the robe, like, right. okay, what am I going to do with this sword here? Right. Amazing what he chooses. Yeah. So that's David. I mean, and not all of David, but some of the stuff that we weren't able to put in the sermon. Plus it's Easter. It is. You got to kind of drive a sermon in a certain direction on Easter. You can't right. leave Jesus out of it. So we thought we'd throw this at your, your feet and see what you thought. So hopefully it's helpful. Um, you know, be looking forward to many more podcasts like this for weeks and months and years to come. Mm-hmm.